Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. It's such a ubiquitous piece of technology that no one usually talks about. And now all of a sudden it is like the hottest commodity you can find. Suffice it to say that the size in part depends on the device that it's going inside of, but these can be very, very small. You know, the micro is in front of microchip for a reason. Everything from your smart refrigerator to your smartphone to your vehicle all have chips built into them, sometimes thousands if not millions of chips. I think the biggest factor that's caused this shortage has been the coronavirus pandemic, where basically you have more people buying electronic devices to use at home, whether that's for work or for fun. And now suddenly you have people coming out of the pandemic wanting to buy more cars and sort of all of this demand for semiconductors has has essentially made them harder to find. And the reality is that means consumers will find products harder to find, whether those are vehicles or, you know, other personal tech devices that they may want to buy. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Stephen Overly on why microchips are becoming a macro problem. The most basic thing to know about a microchip is that they are ubiquitous and exist in just about every electronic, if not every electronic, actually, that you might own. Mm -hmm. And they're just very tiny sort of wafers that basically power your devices and help them to conduct electricity, share information, etc. So it's sort of a very wonky, nerdy thing to think about, but they are so incredibly important to almost every piece of technology we use today. So right now, there's a shortage of these mini wafers of microchips. What's behind that? Well, without question, the biggest wrench in the semiconductor market has been the coronavirus pandemic. Perhaps you've heard of it. (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) at the onset of that pandemic, basically, the auto industry anticipated demand for cars would basically plummet. Mm -hmm. So they canceled a bunch of orders for microchips that would have been installed in vehicles. Hmm. But at that same time, there was intense demand for consumer electronics, right? Families needed computers to work and to school at home. People wanted televisions or video game consoles for entertainment at home. And so there was this huge surge in demand for chips that would go in those kinds of devices. Well, naturally, semiconductor companies kind of switched over their machines and their processes to start producing those chips that are in demand. One of the challenges here is that not all chips are the same. And so many microchips are highly specialized and they're designed for specific applications. Uh But now sort of, you know, demand for vehicles is as high as it's ever been. And the auto industry in particular cannot get the chips they need to make cars. Mm -hmm. They're not alone in that. You know, other industries rely on these chips. That includes computers and other personal devices. It also includes things like defense equipment or medical devices. So you have kind of all of these industries competing for 
chips when there's really a finite amount of capacity to actually produce them. Mm -hmm. So that's the main cause. But interestingly, there's also all of these sort of like small one-off events that have also made chips harder to get. So, you know, for instance, in February, we had the big snowstorm in Texas. More than 620,000 waking up without power in Texas this morning. And some 7 million people under orders to boil their water before using it. Pipes freezing, bursting all over that great state. And that took a few semiconductor facilities offline. Hmm. In Japan, there was a fire in March that took a facility offline for a while. In Taiwan, which is the world's biggest producer of chips, there's a drought that could compromise chip production because it actually requires a lot of water to produce microchips. Taiwan's reservoirs, normally fed by summer rains and typhoon storms, lie parched, producing the worst drought in more than half a century. So... You know, in a way, you have this perfect storm of events that are causing a shortage in this very critical industry. Hmm. Yeah, it's literally, I feel like if you told someone a couple years ago, like, yeah, there will be a storm, a fire, a drought, and a pandemic that's going to cause big problems for your industry, they'd probably just start cracking up. <laughs> right. And now we have cicadas. You know, they're not to blame yet, but but at some point, the, the cicadas will cause a shortage of semiconductors. I, I have a feeling. I want to talk about the real-world effects of this microchip shortage on both the macro scale and the micro, the small day-to-day effects. First, let's start with the big picture. Why is this a problem sort of across the world and across industry? The auto industry has kind of become the poster child for this because auto companies, including you know the big three here in the United States, have all had to shut down some of their plants temporarily, you know, for weeks at a time, basically idling workers, not manufacturing cars, simply because they don't have enough of these chips to kind of keep those assembly lines running and and, and actually complete vehicles. Mm. That's showing up, as you can imagine, for consumers. So if you go out to buy a car right now and demand for cars is as high as it has ever been, one, you're going to find dealers have a lot less inventory, so they have fewer options for you as a consumer to choose from. Mm -hmm. Uh, The options that they do have are generally more expensive models, Hmm. and you're going to be paying, on average, more money for those vehicles. And so I think the, the auto industry is kind of a perfect example where you see companies' operations are really hindered by this, and then consumers are finding it harder to get products, and they're paying more for those products because of this. You mentioned that the pandemic switched a lot of production to the microchips that aren't for cars. So that's caused some of the problems we're seeing with the auto industry right now. Is this something that in the weeks and months to come could expand to other products? Like, could I not only be facing, you know, skyrocketing prices for cars that I want to buy, but could I also have trouble like getting I don't know, the new microwave that I want to get that has a microchip in it for whatever reason? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a possibility. You know, Mm. one of the things that makes this issue so challenging is that producing these microchips, these very tiny devices, is actually a hugely complicated process. There are not a lot of companies that do it, and there are not a lot of countries that do it. You know, by far the biggest producer is Taiwan. You also have countries like South Korea and Japan that make them. And then we do have some production here in the U.S., but that's dropped considerably in recent decades. And so 
you know, you have finite capacity to actually produce these chips and rising demand. That inevitably means that at any point there will be an industry that is not getting as many chips as they might need, at least until that capacity can be expanded. Mm. And so, yeah, we're seeing this most commonly in cars right now, and that's actually expected to continue probably through the rest of this year at least. Wow. Um, but any electronic device could be vulnerable to this if companies find that they're not able to get chips when they need them. How do we fix that capacity problem? You said that the U.S. isn't really producing these anymore. Could that flip? Could the federal government do anything to like make it easier for companies to start producing them here? Frankly, in the short term, options are really limited, which has been you know a point of frustration both for industry as well as for Washington because lawmakers and the Biden administration are under a lot of pressure to try to do something about this. But there's not a silver bullet here. You know, there's no there's no massive factory with a bunch of chips just waiting to, you know, waiting to be purchased. Mm -hmm. This is a problem that will take a, a while to solve. And so Washington is actually looking more so at some of the long term solutions that maybe the government can put in place that might actually prevent shortages like this from being an issue five years from now, 10 years from now. What are some of those potential long-term fixes? Well, the biggest thing being considered right now is a massive ton of money to basically inspire more domestic semiconductor manufacturing. Uh -huh. So a single fabrication facility can cost, you know, $10 billion or more to make. It can take several years to come online. And so essentially, Washington is hoping by putting billions of dollars into incentivizing more of that development, we'll start to see more of those facilities be built here. Mm. Chiefly, there are economic reasons for that. Obviously, a lot of U.S. industries that depend on those chips. And so having that production here in the United States might help to ensure that they can get them more readily. Um, there's also national security implications in this too, right? The United States is concerned about being too dependent on foreign nations for such a critical technology that, as we've already talked about, is used in medical devices, it's used in defense equipment, all sorts of things that obviously the government does not want to run out of. Um, and I think if the coronavirus pandemic has taught the government anything, really, it's that some of our supply chains are very vulnerable. And so when it was at the beginning of the pandemic, it was getting toilet paper and getting, you know, PPE. Now we're talking about getting semiconductors. All of this is raising questions about what do we produce in the United States and what should we be producing in the United States so that we don't find ourselves in a really vulnerable position. Stephen Overly. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Also today, anti-hate crime legislation that passed Congress with overwhelming majorities in both chambers is now signed into law. President Biden approved the legislation on Thursday, which was written in response to the surge of attacks on Asians and Asian Americans during the pandemic. It'll establish a position within the Justice Department centered on anti-Asian hate crimes and allocate resources to enhance state and local reporting. 
and President Biden is proposing to double the size of the IRS by hiring nearly 87,000 new workers over the next decade. The move would be part of a concerted effort by the administration to go after uncollected taxes owed by big corporations, partnerships, and wealthy people, money that Democrats want to use to finance some of their big-ticket spending plans. The Treasury Department said in a report on Thursday that the hiring spree would be phased in to give the department time to adjust as part of a bid to increase IRS funding by $80 billion. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Politico Dispatch team includes senior producer Jenny Ament and executive producer Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.